0: Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today is a very special day because it is the first anniversary of this podcast. A year. Wow. That flew by, but it also feels like it was forever ago. Over the past year, we've had 25 conversations on a range of topics relating to work, leadership, and collaboration, and I have been lucky enough to be a part of all 25 of them. This podcast was a bit of an experiment, and for a long time, I knew we needed to have something like this because we really do love having conversations. I think that's fairly obvious, given we run an entire business that focuses on conversation, but there's also always been something special about the more casual connections we have, both internally and with clients. I think it's because we really are very passionate about our work. And we get the privilege of working with a lot of other people that are passionate about what they do. So when we have the chance to just talk, it's pretty awesome. I walk away with some new insight or some new book to read or topic to explore or a new way of thinking about a problem I've been dealing with. There's always, always, always something to learn and it's fun to connect in that way. We have a colleague, Anne-Marie Allen, who has been a guest on the podcast. She's one of those very smart, fun-to-talk-to people who says, follow the joy, and I think that's actually a really good strategy. I came to Conversant to run marketing for the company, having been in marketing for another large consulting firm prior, and let's just say this isn't exactly an adopt best practices and run with it kind of group. <laughs> Nope. We are all about design and making things work with who we are and how we naturally engage. But getting people to have these conversations has actually been fairly easy. People want to do it. They want to be part of it and contribute. And even on the listener side, it turns out that people do want to hang out with us. So it's been a natural source of joy. And even though there's a lot logistically that goes into a podcast, it hasn't felt like this heavy thing that we're dragging along. For us, this works with who we are and what we're passionate about communicating with the world. Overall, it's been successful, and I'm excited for how we get to continue to grow and play and experiment with this space. And even when things are going well, occasions and mile markers such as anniversaries are a great opportunity to pause, reflect, and see what there is to learn from the experiment to date. Whether we're talking about the project that is this podcast or any other project, taking that pause is really hard to do, especially when we're all running a mile a minute managing so many other things. But taking a moment to review what has happened and renew your commitments, intentions, and strategies means you move forward in a much smarter way. We call this adjustment. And if you know us and our work, it's a critical part of generating cycles of value. It's also the thing we all tend to skip. It may be a best practice, yes, but it's also very human. There is both an art and a science to it, which just happens to be the topic of today's episode. I am joined today by Robin and Mickey once again to talk about why adjustment matters, when it's the right time to adjust, and how to leverage those moments to cause even greater impact for your investments of time, money, and energy. Welcome back to On Connection, and this is a very special episode because it is the anniversary, the first anniversary episode of our podcast. So we've now been doing this for a year. Can you guys believe it? A whole year.
1: I cannot believe it, actually. I don't know where the year went.
0: I don't either, and I'm so proud of us that we stuck to it for a year. (laughs) 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 <laughs> this was not one of those projects that you picked up and put down really fast. And by you, I mean the collective you, I like, like all of us. That <laughs> um, No, we took it seriously and it's been really fun. And, um, you know, as with similar milestones, anniversaries, birthdays, things like that, those occasions tend to be um, opportunities for reflection and renewal. And we also think that it's a great opportunity for adjustment and so that's what we'd like to focus this episode on is the power and art of adjustment and how having that mindset as a leader in everything that you do is going to contribute to increased value for all the things that you invest your time money and energy in and your people um so adjustment why do we care about adjustment and what do we mean when we say it
1: well, I'll say a thing and then Mickey'll say a thing. Um, I for me personally, I think there's a couple of things that jump out at me. One is learning, right? It, it, both as an individual and as an organization. So I think periods of reflection and renewal give us a chance to really learn from what we've been doing and get smarter as we go, and keep reminding ourselves of the things that are working. So I think, for me, that's what's in there. Uh, also, I loved how you said this about the the art of it. I think often leaders think about alignment and moving things forward as the starting place, and yet in all of our organizational life, work has been happening. Work is happening all the time. So what are we learning from and really mining to bring that forward into whatever the next thing is? So I think that's what's on my mind about it. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, there's so many things about this. Um, I think if I look to twenty five years ago, when we first started talking about cycles of alignment, action and adjustment, um, one of the things that we noticed is that when we checked in on people, they were actually really taking the counsel for alignment conversations. They were really doing a good job of learning how to you manage action so that something actually occurs but the part of the cycle of value that they used the least was the adjust protocol mm-hmm. and when we really looked into it and started talking to clients we found out that they pretty much only went there when something went wrong mm-hmm. And the biggest excuse that people gave us for why they didn't do these adjust conversations that we recommend is just the lack of time. And so Richard Reineshek back then started calling them acceleration reviews. And he said, now, I'd like to know who of you has no time for acceleration? Mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me. And it began to alter the way we thought about that and the way we presented it to people. That adjustment. Is an asset to leadership. It's not a reaction to breakdown. And so that's the reason I'd like to take it on is because I think thinking of adjustment as a leadership asset and how do you take advantage of it is different than, yeah, we have to adjust when things go wrong. Oh, no, that's just one of the reasons that you adjust. So I'm interested in this conversation so we can get more of the wholehearted view of why an agile leader is a really valuable asset to anybody, any place.
1: Mickey, earlier this month, actually Emma Rose and I were together, I think when it happened, um, we were proposing to a client that they needed a fairly rigorous adjust conversation because of something that had happened. And the CEO was a little ambivalent, I think in in the particular moment. And I said, basically what you just said about our point of view about it is an accelerant. And it will, you know, so we called it an acceleration review. And he goes, okay, well, now that I like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He did. He totally flipped
0: when you said that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, said- I think because similarly to, I think in the last episode that just came out, um, the second in, uh, inclusive leadership one with Michelle, I said something in there about like the intersection model that we have. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't um if you don't know what i'm talking about um is seemingly could uh, could seem very e- obvious and easy and basic upon first glance like okay a couple arrows they meet in the middle we get it right <laughs> <laughs> um i think same thing with adjustment it's this thing that we just overlook we think oh yeah 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 we get it you know Take make sure you gather your learnings from whatever you just did and move forward into a new phase about it. But people skip over it. And I will say, we actually have a seven-step protocol for adjustment, for having a conversation that serves as your adjustment moment. And even we as a company sometimes do not follow our seven-step protocol. because I mean, we have fallen prey to this as well, that it's really easy to go okay, well, we're really just so busy there. We have all this other stuff. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing, we'll get to it sometime. Or we try to squeeze it in and it's just not sufficient to um, how much there could be to talk about. Um, So even we um, continue to learn the art and power of adjustment and try to increase our integrity around our own principles. So we are human too.
2: I think where we've had breakdowns and I'm really happy to see that we've been learning from them is that we will tend to not say we don't have enough time. It's just as things are going so well, we can use the time better some other way. Mm. So the better things are going, the less likely we are to stop, take a breath and adjust. Right. That's a mistake. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a better way to put it. I think
2: we don't learn from the successes and we don't Mm -hmm. see what's emerging as new possibilities we hadn't seen before. Um, You you know, I think learning how this is natural in the rhythm of leadership, rather than an unfortunate departure from work when things go wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It actually reminds me of, God, this had to be at least 20 years ago. But early in our work in Puerto Rico for Chiqui Santos, when Cheeky was running the Hewlett Packard operation in that part of the world, headquartered in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. And we were doing uh, really exciting things there with them. And pretty early on with a group of managers, I was introducing the cycle of value. And for those of you who don't know us, it's a rhythm we've got of alignment conversations, action conversations, and adjustment conversations. So we talk about align deeply, act quickly, adjust often. And I think this thing makes impeccable logical sense. I also was advanced enough in my facilitation skills to tell that, the people in the room were not very interested in what i was having to say and hope i was going to move on to something better <laughs> you know i could tell you know those moments where you know you've lost the room
1: yeah that's
2: <laughs> the not people very are funny. putting up with you hoping that something better happens and on the break i stopped and i talked to miriam Oliveras, and i asked her i said well, i said what do you think's going on and she said well i think it just it sounds too sterile to people and she said, it's just not like how we are. We're not, and I'm talking to engineering managers, but she said, but we're not like mechanics. We're more like dancers. And so I went, okay. So I went back in front of the room and I told him about the conversation Miriam and I had. And I said, what's alignment action adjustment? What's a line act adjust from the context of dance? Like, teach me. And it became a very uncomfortable moment because somebody stood up and said, can you salsa? <laughs> and I said, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they said, are you willing to learn right here, right now? And this woman, it was incredible. And They got so engaged. It was so fun when they saw that a line act just is a dance. When they could put it in that domain. And they showed me that the way that so many people fail to learn to salsa is they're not free with their bodies to go ahead and adjust what they're learning. They're trying to control everything. They're trying to keep it all stuck. And so what she had to work with me on was to free myself up, to be able to let my body adjust to what the music wanted from it. And I thought that was interesting. Let your body adjust to what the music wants from you. It was amazing. So, since then, I thought of for 20 years, life is always playing music for us. There's always some emerging music in the world around us about what's happening. And sometimes it's really beautiful and sometimes it's discordant. (laughs) Sometimes it's cacophony. But our job is to let ourselves adjust to it. And I think that's Spirit is very different from the mechanics of, yes, you need to align, and then you need to take action. And then when things break, you need to fix them in an adjust conversation.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, well, I think even the notion, this is where you're headed, Mick, around, it's not, we're not making adjustments because something's broken. I think the spirit of it is we want to have the adjust conversations be the place where we're learning. To be smarter. And so the learning is both what's working and what's not working. So it's both. Back on the, where do we? F- sort of fall down. What I think part of it is, is we break the adjust conversations into two components. There's review. So what has happened? And to be as as purpose-driven and fact-based as we can, what was the purpose of the work to begin with? What are the actual facts about what's happening? What has worked? What hasn't worked? I think that part we actually do pretty rigorously. Uh, Who's there to appreciate? I think that part we do pretty rigorously. I think the failure... For us is on the renew, which is the taking that lesson to say how do we apply this to the next thing, and I don't and I don't think we're unique in this, by the way. I think off I was talking to a group actually just this week where they had had a healthcare organization that had had an amazing uh, response during COVID, like how they transitioned very quickly, and they never did an adjust conversation. So I said, well, how come you were able to do that? And They're like, yeah, we don't know because they didn't. They didn't, they didn't learn from it. And the reason they didn't bother is they thought, well, when are we ever going to have to do that again? Mm. Right. And so I think that's what often happens with us as well. Well, we won't have to do that thing again. Yes. And if you're in, in it to learn about the system and how people are working together, there's always something you can learn that will apply to the next set of circumstances. And so how do you really use that as the time to apply, whether it's in it, like, I think that's like often people wait till the project's over and then they think, well, we're not doing that project again. We don't need, to, we don't, we don't need this. No, that's not the point. Like what is there to learn to apply to that to the next thing and the next thing.
0: Right. Maybe. Like how did we learn to work together? Mm-hmm. And I mean, even if that group of people doesn't work together again, then each of those people learned something about how people collaborate either mm-hmm. successfully or not so successfully, and then carry that forward to whatever endeavor they move to next. Sorry. What were you going to say?
2: That, we've talked in the past about something that we have to stay conscious of ourselves. And when we are, we tend to do this really well, (laughs) which is that there are four classic reasons that have equal importance for adjustment. The first is where things are going better than we expected in any way. (laughs) And that's the one people tend to step over because we don't stop close to the action and learn what happened. What's the, Reason that this thing has gone so well? How come we're above target, or how come things are stronger than we expected at this point? So that's one. And I'm saying all four of these have equal weight, they're equal importance. The second is if things are going worse than what we expected, (laughs) which is the obvious one. The third one is, and we'll come back to this in a moment, the rhythm of this particular effort. You know, this purpose and this set of goals, what can we predict that tells us how often we should check in, given the dynamics of this particular situation, which we'll come back to. And the fourth one is if something significant changes in the conditions.
1: Which could be and- a team member joining or a team member leaving. I think sometimes people don't think about that, right? Um, so they have a key member of it. So it's it's circumstances. Could be external circumstances, but it could also be circumstances within the team.
2: Absolutely. One of my dumbest moments (laughs) from a long time ago, uh, not that there haven't been any recently, but this particular story is from a long time ago. We were working on a congestion relief project for a group of cities who are close to each other in all part of a major metropolitan area about what they were going to do in terms of traffic mitigation, you know what was gonna change about the rules, the regulations, the policies, the investments in public transportation that was gonna cause congestion relief. And we did a huge amount of work with uh, government officials and public process things, having groups of people from different kinds of neighborhoods come together, making a huge amount of progress. And I was really excited about the next cycle And then things kind of ground to a halt and got contentious and ugly, and it became so obvious. The most influential city in that cluster of cities had had a new city council election.
1: Mm.
2: Five of the nine members were new. Mm. We should have stopped the entire project at that point to have an adjust conversation so that those people could be in on what's happened so far, summarizing the lessons, give their point of view. We really needed to refresh. And it fits Robin exactly with what you just said, that some of the players in the game had changed. And I didn't call for a halt to stop, take a breath. Uh, So those are the four things. Going better than we thought, we're going to learn why and take advantage of that. Going worse than we thought, we're going to learn why and we're going to get back on track at some obvious rhythm given this particular project and if conditions or people change.
1: You know what's really interesting like I had a thought just as you were saying this that I hadn't really thought about before you know we talk often about impotent explanations so explanations that don't necessarily help and kind of counterintuitively or just in a way that I had never put together I actually think when things are going better than expected. We actually often have an impotent explanation for it. Like the, something that's circumstantial where we're not actually appreciating what we have done as leaders or as a collective that have aided it in getting there. And so it feels like, well, we don't need to talk about that. Like, it's just, it's, you know, this, this thing over here is happening, the economy's better, blah, blah, whatever. But uh, uh, more often than not, I was just thinking, as you said, they're like, why don't we do that? Well, because our explanation actually isn't that powerful about why it's, And so, but we get locked onto it uh, around why it's going better than we expected it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what had me think that actually, Emma Rose... <laughs> <laughs> oh, us about this. I asked about this, actually. <laughs> so I'll tell a story on myself. This is one of my not bright moments. We were talking about that we had a goal for listenership on the podcast, and we are exceeding the goal. And my explanation was we set the goal too low. <laughs> <laughs> well, which so I started sort of telling the story I was like, so my impotent explanation was we didn't set a very good goal, right. <laughs> um, as opposed to actually pausing to say, wait, like it is going better than we expected or, you know, better than that we had predicted it would go.
0: Well, and I think that's really important because I was thinking about it in the context of the, the podcast, too. Um, I think le- to your both of your point that um, it's not just when something's wrong. Part of it is you didn't know what you didn't know when you started the whole thing. And you couldn't have known. So for us, we had no idea if this podcast was going to be successful or interesting to anybody out in the world. I mean, we hoped so. And I think we had a hunch that yes, it was worth investing the time and energy and resources on it. Um, And so thanks, everybody that's listening, because you have helped prove that that was a worthwhile risk. <laughs> but that we couldn't have known how popular it would be. Um that's not to say that you all should not continue to send this to your friends and post about it on LinkedIn and listen and follow <laughs> because we still need more of you. <laughs> um but we just couldn't have known. We also didn't we haven't done a podcast in years and not with this team and so we didn't even know really the landscape of podcasting which is also a world that has so quickly and rapidly evolved over the last five to 10 years. Um, So there was a lot of learning and adjustment in the beginning, even around reporting, even around knowing how to measure whether it was successful or not. So, you know, yes, an explanation is that we didn't set the goal high enough, um, the other is we didn't even know how to measure that or how to predict anything. Now we have a year worth of data. And so for 2023, we can set a more educated goal, perhaps. That's right. Um, but yeah, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And you, you might miss that you found your way to knowing it if you don't adjust. So,
2: yeah, yeah I want to back up a little bit to try to deal with the question about what's the source of agility because we're saying the adjustment portion of align act adjust is really what has the cycle of value be a, a source of value for an agile leader and the source of that capacity to adjust it begins with the align conversation because we're adjusting for something you know so as we've talked about before in the aligned conversations, we're really looking at what is something we're committed to and which we are crucial to the success of that commitment. And we come together to really appreciate and commit to a purpose for the work and specific measurable outcomes that if we're true to that purpose, it's going to go well. Mm-hmm. Cause it went by so fast, Robin, when you were talking about review and renew <laughs> and that we're pretty good at review. Cause you went right back to purpose and goals and, But if we don't have that, one of the things we've seen when people do what I'm sure Emma Rose will include in the notes from this, which is the adjust protocol, she's talking about the seven steps, is often the first step, which is just cite the purpose and goals that you're adjusting. A lot of times people find out, well, our first lesson is we actually never aligned (laughs) on a purpose. We had different views of which goals were high priority. and so. The aligned conversation itself, really establishing what's the wholehearted reason for the work and what's the impact we're going to make and how we know we make it, that's really the source of the thing. So you have to have that in place or it doesn't work. And that's why I like this Align deeply, which means don't step over that moment. We've got to make sure there's a purpose people are awake to, devoted to. And particular outcomes that we all are excited to go accomplish, then you get an action as soon as you can, as soon as you see an action that advances that purpose and goals and adjust often. And that goes back to that line deeply I quickly adjust often. So you mentioned that just a couple minutes ago, Robin, and I just wanted to go back to it is that mm-hmm. if you don't have that, this thing doesn't work so well.
0: Well, the only other thing I would say is that let's say you didn't align sufficiently. That doesn't mean you can't use the adjust protocol to maybe unearth where there were better opportunities for alignment that you did not take uh, advantage of and to more valuably chart how you're going to move forward into another alignment phase. So it doesn't mean you can't, you can't use the cycle of value if you're already in the middle of a project and you didn't align very well. Right. No, great no. opportunity for adjustment, Perfect. actually. Perfect. <laughs>
1: well, and the other thing is, like, align deeply. I think sometimes people interpret that, like, align on everything full to completion to the very end of all the things that you could possibly align on, right? Like, <laughs> they get like they get deeply, uh, and I don't know what the other word i'm looking for is but something that's like in in totally like t- on all things and mickey what you said i think is really important and all often gets missed is like until you see the next action to take like align deeply to see the next action act quickly and what i say often is the reason you have to act quickly is we often won't actually know how well aligned we are until we get into action because mm-hmm. you'll say a thing and i'll say a thing and it's possible that we said the same thing and meant two very different things by it. And we don't know that until we actually get into action. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because it's not, I said this to a group this week, it's not like people leave a meeting and think like, Oh, I'm not, I said, I was going to do this thing. Now I'm going to go do, to, do something totally different. I don't think people actually st- are set out that way. It's that the way we were talking about it, did, we didn't actually say all the words we needed to say, or we didn't listen to one another. Oh, the only way all of that works is if you're making rapid adjustment. So the only way the whole, the whole thing actually has to work together. So like align deeply to see the next action, get into action quickly because that's, what's going to test how well aligned you are adjust often so that if those actions are misaligned, you've got a, a rapid way to sort of get back into alignment and move forward. But, you've got to do all of those parts. And then to have that adjustment come from a place of learning and realignment as opposed to blame. Because I think that's the other thing is that if it's Hey, Robin, you said you're going to do this thing and now you didn't do it. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? That it doesn't make people want to show up to those conversations very often. It doesn't have people want to really learn it, lean in. It has me be, has us be defensive about here's why I did the thing I did, as opposed to really listening to what it, what did we miss and what each other was saying? Did we miss a purpose? Did we miss a criteria that like, about how we were going to set priorities that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's really what's uh, key in having that whole cycle work together.
0: Well, and there's a very good reason, and I think we can maybe demonstrate this before the episode is over, but um, we actually have the question of what's worked well come before what worked poorly in the protocol. And that is so intentional. Do either of you want to say why? I mean,
2: I, but well. well, I think any of us could. <laughs> uh, the simple truth we've learned in the many years of doing this uh, is that what we said earlier that people tend to gravitate to adjustment when something's broken. So we get our attention on what's wrong. And if we go there first, it actually gets the way people are processing information to be oriented around what's wrong and they're actually not in good shape to discover what's right. You know, we've been involved in some debriefs of terrible breakdowns, terrible breakdowns with organizations and situations where loss of life happened, really some terrible things. In every one of them, there was something someone did that was valuable there was something to stop and take a breath and realize that was good, we want more of that. So we found if you don't go after what worked well first, people neurologically get oriented around what's missing, what's wrong, what's broken, and they can't see it very well. So when we've gone to what doesn't work and then back to what worked, the what worked doesn't produce much. But we've seen for 30 years, if we go to what worked first, and you won't move until people start to notice some things there. You still have a rich and robust conversation about what didn't work. So that's my response to that, MROs. Mm-hmm. Plus
1: one to that. And, and percent. what I'll add is I think the other reason why it's really valuable is that when we start talking about the things we want to do differently. More often than not, the solution to what broke down is actually in the thing that went well, meaning that we could apply the thing that went well, the thing that we already know that we're good at as a way to solve or the thing that went wrong. Not all the time, but so often the thing that went wrong, we forgot the thing we did well, or we didn't leverage it in that moment, right? So time and time again, organizations are not taking advantage of their biggest strength is in those things that went well to actually solve the problems that they have. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh, that's good.
1: I think that's the reason. And I mean, if it works well, this should be a re-energizing
0: experience, not a demoralizing one. Right. It should be something that people leave feeling empowered and excited about the next action you're going to take, proud of what you did do to some degree, or that there's a story you've now created out of what happened that's more valuable than maybe what you went in with. And that it is, it's adding a new dose of, energy and vigor for now the next thing you're going to take on and if you don't have a foundation on which to address any of the things that you need to work on that's not very encouraging for people if all you did was unearth all the things that are wrong and all the ways that people are wrong and all the ways that they're screw-ups that's not very um that's not very supportive of any of the behavior you do want to see
1: that's why sometimes the question in the protocol does say, you know, what didn't work well. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I will amend that question to say what felt harder than it needed to, because sometimes Mm -hmm. people can lean, can go there first. Like what just felt like this took longer or was just tougher than we than we think it should have because sometimes people even still has it depending on the culture of the organization and and the whatever the challenge is um and particularly if it's something that did seem to go really well um people even in the what didn't work people sort of hesitate and can't find anything so sometimes it's just well what what felt like it was harder than it needed to be Mm because there's and that i found to be also a rich and interesting question
2: Mm -hmm. you know going back to The spirit of what worked well, I want to use something that worked very well in the past to return to something that we promised a few minutes ago, which is if you look at the four reasons for adjustment, which is things are going better than we thought, worse than we thought, or a routine that fits with the nature of this particular commitment, or when the conditions and people change. So that third one, I want to go to something that worked really well, that we've really this is an example of a lesson that we have used over and over and over and over again since then. So to me, it's worth looking at. So back in gosh, sometime in the nineties, <laughs> uh, when we were working with the inkjet business and Hewlett Packard and inkjet was being enormously successful so much so that there were a lot of other competitors come into the marketplace with similar kinds of technologies like Canon Bubblejack and Lexmark, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And uh, Dana Seckham, who was the head of the inkjet business at that time, and Greg Merton, who was the head of inkjet manufacturing, they really knew that you they needed a manufacturing presence in Europe because the transportation costs for getting product from the US to the European market were huge, which is making the cost to the consumer unacceptable. With all these other people entering the market starting in Europe, you know, that was a problem. So they wanted to do this plant in Europe. And that'd be fun another time to talk about that's our decision-making process for where it went. But it ended up being in Ireland, uh, right outside of Dublin, in a place called Liffey Park. They went to Lou Platt, who was the CEO at that time, for permission for the budget, because this is a very large plant. And we're talking... uh you know, what are you doing with a billion dollars kind of investment? (laughs) And Lou said to Greg and Dana, from everything you've shown me about the market and what the issues are and the risks are, to justify this budget, you'd have to have that plan open in 18 months. Well, the fastest they'd ever built an inkjet plan before that was three years. So Greg took this on like a very serious challenge. How are we going to see whether or not we can do that? And so we were in Dublin meeting with, it was close to around 50 people who we thought was a microcosm of the community that would have to make this happen. So it was potential local contractors. It was people from County Kildare and the government there, from the Irish Development Authority, engineers from HP. So high 40s of people in the room. And there was two questions that we asked. And this is a great thing to do to predict the routine for something. Like, what is it that this project demands? And the first one was, we asked all those people to reach into their chairs, get their little hotel pad with their pen on it, and write down what they thought. The top three reasons were that if it's 18 months from now, we failed. And we have to tell Lou, we blew it. (laughs) What are the three things that went wrong? And you had all these different people from different parts of the system who then wrote down what their top three reasons were. And then we asked them to say, and if it's 18 months from now and we're in full production, what are the three things that went really right? Then we collected all that and collated, put it together. People came back into the room to look at it. It was extraordinary, the things that came out of it. So, one of the things I think we fail to take advantage of is people's ability to predict. Totally. And that gave them some things about routines. One of them was that what they noticed out of that, there were people working on this project in Singapore and Puerto Rico, in San Diego and Corvallis, Oregon, and in Barcelona. There was one hour a day they were all available to connect. <laughs> so, they started realizing. That hour was an adjustment hour. It was precious. Mm. And the question is, what topic every day? Because they were having adjust conversations every day, trying to make something happen in 18 months that had only happened in three years before. And just finding that, this one hour every day, and it was somebody's job to say, what are the topics that are crucial for us to learn from and adjust if we're going to have twice as fast as we ever did before success? And they did. But what I found from that is that giving people who are associated with the effort a chance to predict great and not great is a massive asset for planning, but also for predicting what the routines are in which we need to adjust.
1: I I think it's, I love that. I love those questions. I think it is so useful, and and to crowdsource it like that also, right? To really get the folks that are in the work to be able to see what what would what would be their explanations, because they probably all had slightly different ones. I think it's also a way to test alignment right so it's a way to that that whole thing about prediction because you're being able to see are we do we have some sort of sense of where we're headed and what right looks like and not right looks like so it's also it's it really is both a way for us to predict when we need to adjust but it also is a a great test for those questions are also a, a great test of alignment i think
2: yeah it really does you're right so i was making the point about it revealed a crucial routine but it also revealed all sorts of things in the planning. Like they yeah. brought up what I love is you had so many technical people in there you had scientists and engineers and and yet the breakdowns they predicted that would stop them from being successful, hardly any of them were technology based mm. they were all they were talking about coordination issues or cooperation issues or unresolved conflicts between these you know between the county killed air, people who were there for the best interests of the county and the Irish Development Authority and the HP engineers. And they named these places where you better get these things aligned, where these people are on the same page, or this thing is going to go through a series of slowdown breakdowns. And so you're right, Robin, it really revealed occasions for alignment that you need to take on earlier than later and i love that you had all these scientists and engineers were the ones that were naming the social problems that they said are going to stop our success
1: you know all of us engineers out in the world are not totally um lacking in emotional <laughs> intelligence
2: <laughs> the, So um, so saith the engineer the
1: um There's another question in our adjust protocol that I find for some reason makes people uncomfortable or that they tend to skip over and I think is so critically important, which is who is there to appreciate and for what? Because I think it brings a spirit to these conversations that's so incredibly important that the adjust is really about us appreciating where we are and what there is to do differently and who contributed to that. And I think that if you want to have a just live inside an organization, that's, I think that's the most important question to, to ask and answer because it's what has people want to show up for those conversations, both as much as anything to show appreciation. I think there's certainly for people that want to sort of, get the appreciation but i find that people when we do it really well are so excited to share what who they're appreciating in a particular moment um so i don't know that for me is the one question in that that i try to encourage people when we put the uh protocol in the show notes like that it's is number five it's question number five and people constantly like when they get rushed for time or they that's the one they want to skip and that's the one I want to make sure is all there's always sufficient room for
0: well and we also say to appreciate them publicly then so that if they're if they're not in that conversation in which you're having the adjust conversation then go tell them um well I think another thing to point out about that and this might hit at the generational experience within an organization, perhaps. I think it's really easy for very well intended leaders who are responsible for a number of projects, having a hand in a number of different things, that it seems like the fastest way to get things going the way you want them is to point out all the things that are wrong. So catching them, whether it's in a formal adjust conversation like this or just along the way, kind of goes back to, um, Mickey, the comment you made a couple episodes ago about, um, seagulling, the seagulling leader who's floating around, checking out all the projects and then just dips in, finds something wrong, leaves, and then you have to f- deal with it, um, But I do think it's, it usually is very well intended and it's out of a place of care for wanting things to be successful. So in the little bit of time that we have, here's something that needs to be improved. Here's something that could be better. Here's something else that could be better. Um, But the just taking a moment to appreciate who's done what, what what behavior you do want to celebrate and continue. uh, I think that's a huge part of feedback and performance reviews being successful is not just looking at their weaknesses and where they need to be better, but also perhaps starting with their strengths so that that's a foundation on which they can address the areas of development. But that you're encouraging the behaviors you don't want to see go anywhere. Because otherwise, if that doesn't get called out and appreciated, that's at risk too over time. And I think it connects to the being re-enchanted with your work, keeping your team enchanted with whatever you're doing. If they're constantly feeling like they cannot Do things well, or do things the way that their leader is hoping, or that there's always something wrong with how they're showing up. That's the experience, and I think that over time can be really damaging. So I think this is a
2: big part of what Robin you pointed to earlier about bringing strengths to where we're weak. Mm -hmm. That we have proven over and over and over again the fastest, most efficient way to improve anything is the reallocation of strengths, Mm -hmm. like taking something we're good at and seeing how does that apply to this place that's slow or hurt or broken or at risk. And the way you were just talking, Emrose, it really gives us a chance for the appreciation conversation to highlight strengths, because what comes right after that are what are the actionable insights in the protocol. And I think when you're really in the presence of who you're appreciating and for what. You're really conscious of well, where do those strengths help with what we want to do differently going forward? It's I think it's it's really wise, Robin. You brought this up as crucial. Uh, I also want to say a couple things about we say in there, who is there to appreciate and for what? Mm-hmm. And as y'all know, we don't tend to use language unintentionally. <laughs> That's very intentional. So it's not. General. So, who is? Oh, yeah. Which person or people specifically are you appreciating, for what specifically they did, rather than appreciation? I want to thank all of you for your hard work. Okay, now move on. <laughs> you know that that doesn't land any place. And so, who did what specific thing, and it's appropriate to that person, so that they know. You know, I remember. Gosh. 30 years ago, when I was going through a major shift and deciding to uh, kind of maybe it's more than that, but this is where Richard and I were beginning what became conversant and changing our lives to okay, we're going to really form a company. And I was working with somebody who, in her practice, and uh, she was been very successful in that practice, and she knew that we were about to open ourselves. And we're going to do this from home or <laughs> at the home office. And she shipped to me a printer because she told me she bought a new printer for her home office. And she sent me her old printer. Now, I know for her, the thing to thank her for was, gosh, thank you for the printer. I know. I saw her handwriting on it. This is somebody who's very successful, did this herself. She packed this up. She had to go find the manual and put it in there. She put in supplies. It had all the right paper and tissue in the right place to keep everything stable. It was taped shut and her handwriting all over the address. And I thanked her for taking the time to actually do that personally for us, that we felt like there was somebody in our corner really helping us succeed. And I know that's what mattered to her is we realized she did that herself. (laughs) So that's what I mean by who, this particular human being, for exactly what. So I'm hoping that people, when you're appreciating, are looking specifically at contribution and making sure that people know you know what they provided that was unique and special and valuable.
1: I think the reason also for in the protocol, Emma Rose, is Rose, um, goes back to what you were saying. It's sort of to be that moment as a reminder. I say this about all of our protocols. They are there to help us have the conversation that we think is going to be the most valuable. And so it is an antidote to those of us, like me, who are the ones who go to the problem first, right? And so I think some of the going to the problem first is, you know, I say a lot. I was trained as an engineer. That's what you did. You went (laughs) to look for what's the problem and how are we going to fix it? And I'm not a lot like engineers are not the only people who suffer that lawyers have that right. There are lots of folks who have technical capability where that is actually the schooling that you got was what are all of the things that are broken and how do you go to fix them? Mm -hmm. You know, my first decade as as an employee was working in a manufacturing plant that was literally my job was to go out every day and find the things that were broken and fix them Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think we are we tend to be hardwired so the putting it in the protocol in the way that mickey said is to actually give that moment of reflection to say and there are people here that have really made a meaningful difference um so like here uh, I, for me, it's Guy Connolly, whom none of you see uh, or hear out there, who's out in the background making sure that we sound our best and actually represent who we are in the world from an experience point of view um, so that all of you can listen to us and, and actually hear it without any distortion or background noise or distraction as much as possible in a way that has us feel good about the world professionalism of this. So big shout out to Guy Conley and his attention to detail uh, out there in the background. Uh, and Emma Rose, for you and all of the attention that you bring to this podcast in making sure that it's relevant to the people that are out there, uh, that it is connected to the world at large, that you do all of the research to actually tie it into things on a regular basis, that attention to being relevant to the situation of the moment is makes such a huge difference in, I think, the how people have received this is because of the work that you do on the front end to connect it to our listeners and to the world at large so
2: thank you for that Mm. mighty fine (laughs) well done Uh, well
0: i also i was actually going to have us close with appreciating who was there to appreciate
1: (laughs) (laughs) i read your mind clearly way to go
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i appreciate you um no but i think um, one thing that people likely have no clue about is that quite often i just have an idea in my head about what sort of formation of people to have on this podcast and i ask them for 90 minutes of their time and i don't prepare them for anything other than please show up and give me 90 minutes and we'll find something to talk about so (laughs) you two included a lot of these episodes have been let's get together at this time on our calendar what the hell are we talking about today (laughs) And then, you know, somebody has an idea and we trust each other and the the conversation and the time in the world and trust our work that it is relevant and that there's always something to contribute. And so thank you for trusting me in that, both of you. Um, And also... To all the other people, you know, actually, in the spirit of appreciation, the people that have reached out to any one of us or some other member of our community to write a personal note about how these episodes have added value to your work, to your life, what learning it caused, what impact it had on you. That makes it so worthwhile to us because this is, we're speaking into a void most of the time. And even if you listen to it, you're a number on this analytics thing. And I have no idea whether that number is a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Like I don't know if you liked it or if you thought these people are full of shit. I'm never listening to this again. So hearing the specific appreciation from you all too has been has been very energizing. And um we're grateful to you and your willingness to listen for 30 to 90 30 to 30 minutes to an hour of us just talking. So we thank got you. one
1: of those this week from Claire. Claire, if you're out there, thank you. It re- we share them. They they do. They make such a huge difference um, to us to know that something we said landed or made a difference or made even made you laugh. Or so really mm-hmm. fabulous. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, and all the people in our community that have been sharing these episodes um, with others, with clients. You know, it's always a little bit of a lift in the marketing arena to get people to go share our stuff. But um, I think it's really a testament to our our staff at Conversant and their willingness to support this and attach their name to it, too. So thank you to everybody at Conversant for doing that.
1: Beautiful. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, if we're going to get to this place we normally get about what do we learn or what are we present to now that we weren't at the beginning about wanting to explore what's adjustment as an asset to leadership? What do the two of you have to say?
1: Mm.
0: Well, I mean, I, Loved your questions about prediction and having people personally reflect on those. And I actually wrote it down for an upcoming client thing that I have that I'm still trying to put the agenda um, together for, that what they want to do is big and important and they have a tendency to not follow through on their big, important things that they need to do. (laughs) Um, So creating... Instilling in them this priority of adjustment and routine around it and committing as as individuals and as a community to one another, that they're going to have integrity around that, I think will be what makes the difference in making this new effort for them successful. So thank you for presencing that for me.
1: Yeah, I think setting up the, that you can actually at the outset really set up and begin to predict where are the places for adjustment is uh, a great, was great for me to hear today. And also to have that be even in the next, in the adjust conversation, when is the the next most relevant time for us to have this conversation, I think is really smart. So great. I think what I'm
2: present to, that I wasn't an hour ago is just the aesthetic beauty of adjustment. You know, being reminded again of Cheeky and Miriam and saying, it's all about the dance and me realizing (laughs) that I could actually explore salsa from a line act adjusting. (laughs) 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 And I think of things we've talked about in the past, about when Aretha Franklin stepped in for Pavarotti (laughs) and shocked the world, because who thought Aretha could do that? Uh, Or when the violinist Midori, when she was 14 years old, you know, went through broken strings twice in the middle of a Leonard Bernstein concert and adjusted so gracefully in it that at the end of it, he got down on his knees and bowed to her. (laughs) There's something about embracing that the world is in constant movement. And if we are too, it's a dance. Hmm. If we aren't, it's a wreck. (laughs) And that's what I'm just being conscious of now that I wasn't an hour ago.
1: Hmm.
0: Really beautiful. Well, thanks for being in this with me, guys. I think we'll do another year. Yeah, (laughs) We'll give it a shot. And um, we're setting a
1: higher goal though.
0: Yeah, we're going to (laughs) have So all you please go out and promote this podcast with your communities. Um, We'll send gifts. Um, No, but I, you know, I just want to say too, that we do have a plan to have our own adjustment conversation about this and following our protocol. So I will include that in the show notes so that you can all use that with your own teams or reflect on those questions for yourself in whatever endeavor you are currently in um any other closing thoughts from you guys about adjustment cool well happy anniversary pod fam we will see you again very
2: soon goodbye bye bye everybody
0: bye all This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham, and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com.
2: On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until
0: next time.